Hello and welcome to another episode of Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Matt Hart Spade. And I'm Jinners. And it's just the two of us today. We are going to delve into One Hit Wonders, something that we wanted to do for quite some time and the day has arrived. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was such an integral part of 90s culture and in some ways aughts culture as well that it kind of seemed like we might as well. So I guess before we get started, I just want to read like the wiki sort of textbook definition of a one hit wonder. I'm sure everyone out there knows what it is, but this is how it's classified by whomever wrote this intro or whoever wrote this, uh, you know, um, entry into Wikipedia. One hit wonder is any entity that achieves mainstream popularity, often for only one piece of work and becomes known amongst the general public solely for that momentary success. The term is most commonly used in regard to music performers with only one hit single that overshadows their other work. So there you go. <laughs> and I don't, I feel like in my mind, it kind of got started in the 80s. No, Jim? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like, I feel like it was like a, you know, singles kind of culture. And it was all about like the the kind of pop hits, and maybe mm-hmm. MTV also like helped kind of usher in a little more. Absolutely. To like um, just like random hits, mm-hmm. <laughs> like because there's so many of them, and you watch them, and then you forget about them. Yeah, I think I, I didn't even realize that before we kind of hopped on this call today, that the video aspect actually had a lot to do with it as well. And I think in some ways, when it comes to like, you know, a big 80s one hit wonder, like, aha, take on me, your mind automatically goes to the the associated video. Yeah, definitely. So I think what's also interesting about one hit wonders, I guess, you know, 80s, 90s, and and more current than that, is that in some instances, uh, actually, I think aha is a good example, because in the U.S., Take On Me was the only single. But I remember when we were chatting with Sandra Lurke, like AHA was his favorite band because they had a gazillion singles in the Nordic countries. So it's one of those things where a one-hit wonder isn't necessarily the same thing internationally. Yeah, and I think that's like another aspect to the definition. It's where like they may have just like one huge commercial hit in the U.S., but everywhere else, they're like a giant star with like multiple hits and albums. Yeah. So it's interesting how like Americans kind of gravitate towards certain ones. And then other countries, they're kind of a little bit more standing <laughs> going mm-hmm. on and like loyalty and like mm-hmm. kind of, you know, going with the band to like the next, you know, album and and growing with them whereas like i feel like that doesn't happen too much you're, you're pretty lucky i think if that happens to you here yeah i kind of think that has to do with like americans having a short attention span or or maybe more so in america than elsewhere where you're kind of constantly chasing the buzzy thing and maybe that doesn't exist as much elsewhere mm. you know yeah and i think maybe kind of tying it into the music industry in the 90s i feel like And I think this is one song we're going to get into possibly a little later. But uh, I remember when Alanis had all that success with Jagged Little Pill, there were a lot of, quote unquote, angsty women that came after her that, you know, the labels were trying to find the next Alanis, so to speak. And a lot of those women just kind of had one hit and disappeared, unfortunately. You know, the song I'm thinking of, by the way, was Meredith Brooks, Bitch, which is such a classic 90s one hit (laughs) wonder. Oh, my gosh. yeah. Yeah. So good. I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons why it winds up that, you know, an act will have like one hit and then disappear. 
And I feel like nowadays it doesn't happen as much. I mean, I also remember like thinking stuff like that about all sorts of artists and then them going on to be successful and having a long career. So I feel like sometimes it's really hard to predict like what's going to stick and what's going to like move on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not always the good, the good music that that continues. No, you know, so. And I think in some instances, too, and we're going to chat about some of these tracks where it's like the single was great. But then when you go deeper into the album or any other track on the album and it's just totally forgettable. And then you realize that, like, maybe there's a reason they didn't have staying power. You know, maybe they had they hit the right moment. They had the right producer, whatever the case may be. They got the right amount of radio airplay and buzz. But that was that was that, you know. That's true. And I think one other thing that's interesting is that like some folks, I think, really kind of cling to their one hit wonder status. Like I've noticed that Lisa Loeb is on Cameo and like every single Cameo she's performing stay like in the Cameo. Got it. You know, she's milking it still. But then you have some folks that like don't ever want to be associated with the, the big hit or their only hit. So people have different relationships with their, you know. Yeah, like some people embrace it and then others resent it. Mm -hmm. It's good to hear, though, that Lisa Love embraces it. I think it's kind of weird when people don't, like, appreciate, like, the thing that brought them success. Yeah. Like, sort of resent it. It's like, this is a part of you. Like, fans are going to want to hear it. I feel like that happens to a lot of bands. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like um, B-52s also, like... You know, they had so many hits, mm-hmm. but I remember going to see them like um, at this festival in Spain and they had just come out with like a new album, like new songs, you know, and they only <laughs> wanted to play the new, the new songs. Stuff, yeah. And like there's like 40,000 people at this festival. You think they want to hear like the new album? Of course no. not. They want to <laughs> hear Rock Lobster. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you kind of had to like give people a little bit what they want and then like play like maybe a few new ones. But like, I think it's a little excessive to just be like, we're not playing the hits. Exactly. I feel the same way. I actually met the B-52s once because they were part of the True Colors tour with Cindy Lauper. And that show was at Radio City in the aughts. Erasure was on the bill too. It was a good. It was a good bill. That's a but good bill. The label or the press people gave me a meet and greet, but only for the B-52s. Which I mean, great, but I don't. I don't have any sort of like passion <laughs> for the B-52s. I remember meeting them, and they were just not. They were just like so over it. I'm like, listen, I didn't even request this, but nice to meet you. You know, I don't know. So maybe yeah. they just have like some bitterness in them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know this. They they have some pretty good like karaoke tracks. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> so, like, Absolutely. I feel like they should just embrace it. Be the fun band they're supposed to be. Speaking of karaoke, I feel like a lot of these tracks, these one hit wonder tracks that were super catchy, super buzzy, have become now kind of regulated to you know, your your memory, but also like karaoke and like a 90 spotify playlist and whatnot but karaoke specifically with some of these tracks i mean going back to meredith brooks bitch that is such a great like get it all out stupid karaoke <laughs> song you know <laughs> and i think like part of uh like the best like kind of one hit wonder karaoke song is if it's a little bit funny or like you get some kind of performative thing out of singing it you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you're not like singing it like seriously you're like singing it a little bit with like a wink and like haha isn't the song 
a little bit funny. Exactly. So. And I, uh, that's, I think that that makes for a good karaoke song when you could be a little tongue in cheek and a little silly and a little stupid. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I have this memory of like Ryan, um, my husband, Ryan, like singing Aqua Barbie Girl. <laughs> that is that is the pretty ultimate 90s one hit wonder. And also speaking of stupid. <laughs> yes, I mean, it is totally ridiculous. And like the best part was like, he would sing it with like the weirdest voice <laughs> and he would like keep it throughout the song. And he did he do the male and female parts? He just did everything in like the same voice. Oh, okay. Like it was like, like the weirdest, like <laughs> sounding voice you ever heard. <laughs> and like, he just did it. And I was just like, wow, that was pretty amazing. Like not what I expected. God, that song was big. And I remember that video being very colorful and almost like giving me a headache a bit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even like that song was so dumb, uh, but so catchy. And and I don't know. A part of me is like, how did that become such a huge hit? Because it's almost like a children's song in a way. Yeah. But it I did. Think just for the sheer ridiculousness of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel like it's kind of like same vibe as uh like no doubt i'm just a girl like mm-hmm. you know there's like you know songs like that that just feel like everybody in that band was hot i might be making that up but <laughs> <laughs> like with the video uh-huh. and it's catchy i mean one it has to be catchy to be a one hit wonder like mm-hmm. you if you have that hook then uh and then it's kind of funny in a way mm-hmm. like i think uh that makes like a kind of a magical combination for it to kind of go viral in a way. I guess, you know, it's one hit wonder is like a, a ridiculous song almost that goes viral, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like pre-viral viral, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I feel like now when you re- re- when we revisit these, it's almost it's almost camp in a way. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> this is how we're going to structure this, kind of, sort of, is we're going to have sort of a lightning round of some of the like really ridiculous funny ones um, and then go a little deeper with some of our personal picks. You know, I think between the 90s and the aughts, there are probably like 300 one-hit wonders, so we can't cover them all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next one on your list of like ones we're going to do in this shorter round is Extreme More Than Words, which is one of the (laughs) cheesiest, terror, most terrible songs. But I feel like that was probably a huge wedding single like in 93 or something. Oh God, it was probably... (laughs) Like they're like the song they dance to, their oh, first God. dance, you know, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that song is cheesy beyond belief for sure. Holly Miranda did a cover of it. For, oh, I haven't heard that. She did it for this show called Do Re Mi Too, and mm-hmm. where they take like sexist songs and basically like uh, she decided to cover that song, and when she did the cover of it. That's when I realized how skeevy that song was. It was like just in that context. Mm-hmm. It's just like kind of, I was like, man, I never noticed that before. Because like, I think in the past I thought it was like a cheesy romantic song, but now I'm like, it's kind of creepy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I also have a thing when it's like the the metal band or whatever, like puts out the ballad. It's always like cringe, you know. Super cringe. Yeah, yeah. 
Speaking of cringe, I'm just, I just feel like extreme is a kind of parallel to this that I'm going to mention that is really embarrassing. But over quarantine, particularly the last couple of months, I've been rewatching Rock of Love with Brett Michaels. And oh it's so bad. And speaking of aughts, it makes it may for some reason this made me think of like poison. Every yeah. rose has its thorn. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which yeah. I I'm not sure if it was late '80s or early '90s, but of course that was a gigantic hit for them. Also, also like super tacky. Yeah, like when a rock band has like that one ballad, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, okay, and then and then uh, me realizing that that was like a thing, you know, with mm -hmm. like the um. Uh, the now compilations remember oh, yeah. those like just like <laughs> and, and it was like, I think there was one that was just like all rock ballads and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like who could listen to that now oh you know? god it's so bad it's so bad um you also listed now this track I was never fully into like um <laughs> In fact, I actually thought the song was totally dumb, and I was surprised it became such a gigantic hit on a alternative radio. It's Marcy Playground, Sex and Candy, but um, yeah. mm -hmm. you have you have a little bit of a history with them in some well, way. Well, I mean, like <laughs> I wouldn't even say a history. It was like maybe like a a, a happenstance. Uh -huh. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, like when I was um, booking shows at Union Hall, and, uh, which is like a venue in Brooklyn, I feel like, you know, whoever was booking them reached out to me and they wanted avails and and I ended up booking them into the venue. Um, and I, I kind of like looked back at my emails on that and like I, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't I, I don't think I went to the show even. Like, but I wish I did now because then I'd have a story to tell. But yeah. Like, <laughs> but at the time, I think I just thought it was kind of like a joke. And I just thought it would be funny to like have Marcy Playground like oh play at Union Hall. <laughs> like, <laughs> I Now, I could see them being the kind of band who obviously everybody only knows that one song. It's not like they had a career, really. Right. They, I could see them being like the snobby type to be like, we don't perform that song anymore. And it's like, really? Right. Are we going to do that? The one song we know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a long time ago at South by, I booked a bill that was all over the place, to be honest. But the headliner was the Proclaimers. And oh, yeah. They, yeah, they did not perform 500 miles. What's the song? 500 yeah, miles. Yeah, 500 miles. They were performing new stuff. And it's like, who the fuck wants to hear this? That is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to play that song. Um, I mean, yeah. But, you know, that's just me. You know, every band, I feel like, feels this way, actually, probably, of, like, their one big hit. Because I remember when I managed bands, I'd just be like, they'd be like, oh, we don't want to, like, play that song. And I was like, that's the one song that everybody of wants course. to hear. <laughs> like, you have to play it for the fans. You have to. Um, and they'd be like, no, we want to play, like, our new song. And, you know, it's like, but, you know, sometimes that works for people. But I feel like the only time is, like, um, when... I always think of that story of like Liz Winstead um, at that first time Prince ever played uh, uh -huh. Purple Rain. Yeah, that was Avenue. such a crazy story. I was like, you could be Prince and play new songs and everyone exactly. would love that shit. Of but, course. Well, yeah, but you got to be like Prince. But you have to be Prince. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Doesn't work if you're Marcy Playground, right? No. Um, speaking of like, not, actually, I didn't list this song, but it's also a quintessential 90s alt 
one hit wonder. I booked this band for South by Southwest in like 08 for an outdoor kind of house show. And it was super drag and they did not perform sucked out, which, Oh, they they were also like, we're too, we're over that. I'm like, you cannot, I cannot book super drag and you can't do sucked out. I know that's the song that would get the crowd like hyped. Of course. Well, I, I get it. Listen, I get it and I don't get it at the same time because I understand the pride of of moving forward and, and kind of maybe associating that, that one moment with like your past, you've moved on, you know, you've sung the song 3,000 times live, but at the same time, like, you know, that's what the audience wants to hear. And actually, when I was looking through a lot of what I, we picked um, today, I think in some instances... Like Joan Osborne, for example, was someone we were going to talk about today. Obviously, we're talking about one of us. But she has released other music. Like she released an album of Bob Dylan covers that did very well. But I think for me, the the ultimate question is if you ask someone random on the street, someone random at the grocery store, someone random at you know the drugstore, at the flea market, and you say Joan Osborne, they're only going to think of that song. So yeah. I think it... Sometimes a one hit wonder maybe is maybe more synonymous with like not necessarily one hit and goodbye, but like the one song everyone knows and the only one that the average person would be able to identify. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Like it doesn't I feel like it totally doesn't mean that they don't have other hits necessarily or like has have had other success. Like it just means that that's the one song that kind of, you know, takes over their career it's yeah like the one song that people know them by you know mm-hmm. so totally I, I guess i put a lot of these on here but like <laughs> like uh divinals i touch myself that's great that's that's a that's a i don't that's know that's a good that, song though that's a good song yeah. yeah i don't have any qualms with that at all i like that song yeah like i would still listen to this song today and i would you know if i were djing this could be a song but i also think it's kind of funny mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so it got that way because it was like a little naughty you know uh-huh. it's just a great track yeah it's kind of incredible when you think like that song generated a little bit of like controversy and now like you know wop was the biggest single of 2020 you right. know so we've really gone pretty far in terms <laughs> of like you know that that nonsense you also listed Soul Asylum Runaway Train, which I have to say, like, that song, whenever I hear it come on randomly when I'm doing laundry and, like, the, <laughs> you know, Light FM has it on, I get a little torn up. And I think it's because that video with all those missing kids, like, really made me sad. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't be laughing, actually. But like, <laughs> like, definitely. Like, and they were actual lost children, right? Like, mm-hmm. they were, like, real lost children. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, no, it, it was a great song, great cause, really heartfelt. But, like, I feel like I'll always, like, associate Soul Sign with, like, the more aggressive, <laughs> like, kind yeah, of course. grungy stuff. Like, need somebody to shove. Yeah, that was actually a good single, too. But that was definitely not as popular as Runaway Train. No, no, it wasn't as mainstream. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think they 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 could reach like a mass audience. So it's a song called, like Runaway Train because of the cause, the message behind it. And, you know, it's actually a catchy song. You know, it's just like the hair bands who have a ballad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the slow song, the serious song, you know. Speaking of, he had some damn messy long hair, right? Yeah, Dave Perna. Oh, my yeah. gosh. 
<laughs> it was it was pretty mess. Pretty like I feel like it was like birds nesty. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like as far as the grunge scene, he was kind of like a a little um, a cutie pie. I kind of feel the same in a weird way. Yeah, because yeah. I uh, personally, I never thought Eddie Vedder was very good looking. I I never really thought that most of the grunge guys were. I mean. I guess later on, Chris Cornell, once he had the shorter hair, was a little more attractive, I think. But, like, for some reason, I think he was kind of cute. Soul Asylum dude. Yeah, he was cute. I mean, I used to be an Eddie better, but, like, you know, that was, like, the teenage me, you know? Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. like, uh, and uh, I think it was because we had the same birthday. Uh (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) um, And, like, definitely had a crush on Kurt Cobain. I thought he was, like, Mm -hmm. super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurt was, Kurt was. Yeah, um, but yeah, I agree with. And then Chris Cornell, but like, you know, I was never that in a Soundgarden, so mm-hmm. you know, it was like this disparity. Like this guy is really hot, but do I like his music? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Chumbawamba, you put on here. I did put tub thumping because <laughs> I just feel like that song lives on forever at like football games <laughs> and at like straight bar kind of like pubs on the jukebox i don't know i feel like that song never dies really uh, and it's so damn dumb (laughs) but i have like a very random memory but like when i was maybe 16 when this song came out uh and they hosted like an aol chat room and i guess they took only x amount of questions and this song was huge international hit at the time and for some reason they took my question and i asked something really dumb like like, because they all had really weird hairstyles, and I asked a question about their hair. I don't know why, <laughs> but I guess they felt like they wanted to take it. I don't know, but I mean, in a way, this song is so dumb and and so kind of catchy, and I don't know. I don't mind it. I don't like. I don't cringe when I hear it because it's it's just so bad that it's actually like I said, camp almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, if you asked me what Chumbawamba look like, I wouldn't be able to tell you what they look like. But. There are a lot of people in that band. I remember there were like, it was like polyphonic spree. Yeah, it yeah. was like a big band. Yeah. And they're all splitting royalties on that one song. <laughs> That's why it gets played everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just say yes to everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, also Spin Doctors. Oh, my gosh. Mm, that, was like, big, that was a big that was a big princes. Song. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that song was everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that was huge. And then I saw you were listing Semi-Sonic Closing Time. I bought that album when it came out. <laughs> there are a couple acts on here that, like, I bought the album, um, and it was so bad. And Semi-Sonic is one of them. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Another one, which I'm not sure. We, we have, like, a laundry list here that we're going off of. But um, Primitive Radio Gods. I'm not sure if you all remember this song, but it was called Standing Outside of a Broken Phone Booth with Money in My Hand, which is... Also fucking stupid. Um, I was really into that song. It had some random ass sample and the the delivery of the song was very much like kind of monotone, but it had like a bit of like an R&B beat. I don't know. I didn't, for some reason I was into it. It was very, very big on modern rock radio. And that was of course the only song. The album was God awful in a similar way to the Semisonic album. So, but Closing Time, I feel like is also one of those tracks that like still probably gets played at, like a bar in Bumblefuck USA 
when it's like one fifty six and they close at two. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And I also feel like at a choice, like karaoke moment, like it could go real, really well. (laughs) (laughs) And like maybe the whole bar would sing along with you or something. Exactly. Yeah, I think everybody knows the words to that chorus. Come (laughs) on. Exactly. So many songs. I know there are so many here on this list. You know, going away from like rock. Mm -hmm. I've been watching a lot of TV during quarantine, and with that comes like uh, the commercials, and it's Mm. always like the same commercials. But I feel like a tag team had like a revival (laughs) with uh, "Whoop There It Is." Because they did this like Geico commercial. Oh, I have not seen that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my god, we are gonna okay, Google I'm gonna this afterwards, yeah. and you're gonna watch it because like it's so good. And they basically reinvented their song into "Scoop." There it is, and they're oh, like, oh, perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> talking about all these ice cream flavors, oh my and god. then they're like, "Scoop." There it is. <laughs> but listen, if if you're that band, tag team, tag team, like. What are you doing these days? And, you know, if you need some cash, fine. Let's do some silly parody of, of the big single and yeah. make and it Yeah, and I thing. think it's cool because it's like the they have like the original guys in the commercial. And then oh, literally cool. I said to Ryan, I was like, what commercial is this for? Like, wait, what product are they selling? Like, I don't even know what they were selling. And he was like, it's a Geico commercial. I was like, <laughs> it is? I thought it was ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's one that we jotted down that um, is definitely in the U.S. I would consider them one hit wonder, but it it almost breaks my heart because I feel like they're much better than that. And that's the Verve. And obviously I'm talking about Bittersweet Symphony. I have always loved Richard Ashcroft and I love in particular that Verve album, Urban Hymns. It's one of my favorite 90s albums. And when the Verve reunited maybe like a decade ago, they played the theater at MSG and I was like, I was there both nights. I was like, having a moment but it's one of those things where uh that song was so huge and also kind of lives on in other ways like at you know stadiums and whatnot that i feel like they'll never ever you know top that but it's it's a bummer because they really are a band that they really have some beautiful ballads they have some really like experimental psychedelic type stuff but that was their big pop moment and i think it was also you know of the time where you know, Oasis was breaking really big in the U.S. And I think there was a little bit of a hunger in like the mid to late 90s where, you know, Blur was finally getting some U.S. success. And I feel like every like some of these British bands had a short lived moment uh, in the States and then it kind of disappeared. And the Verve kind of falls into that category. But I yeah. love them. And I, I you know what? I still love Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah. I mean, also, I, I that's another one I think of the video all the time when I think mm-hmm. of it. So, I mean, that's kind of an iconic video where he's just kind of bumping into everyone and just, yeah, I don't know. It's so it's it's not exactly a very deep video, but it's very memorable. I mean, could you do that video today? No, no, no. (laughs) like (laughs) everyone would be wearing masks. Exactly. Actually, this wasn't on our list, but just popped into my head. Speaking of like iconic 90s videos with focusing on someone, Jamiroquai Virtual Insanity. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that video, I think one like video of the year at the VMAs, like 97 or something. And he had such a distinct look. And that video with the like 
what he's do you like call dancing this? and like he's dancing uh, but it's like the ground is moving and shit and the couches oh, are yeah. moving yeah yeah <laughs> uh very 90s moment and he had that hat and that yeah, hat I was, you couldn't yeah. mistake it you know his no. silhouette was so distinct i feel like and that's a band that had like another instance where they had a bigger career in europe than here here like you say jamiroquai you think virtual insanity and i bet the majority of folks would not be able to name anything else you know yeah how it is and it's almost like a joke but you know yeah to me at least also like emf unbelievable that was a huge one yeah Yeah. (laughs) and i i forget what commercial it got used in maybe it was like one of those i can't believe it not it's not butter or something like that (laughs) (laughs) like or it's like i think it was like oh crumb believable what was that for it's like (laughs) oh i don't remember that Oh my god! I but I do cringe when I hear some of these songs in like commercials twenty, thirty years later, and and I and I'm like, oh, but I get it, you know. If it's if it's an easy royalty or an easy like, you know, like we're going to whoop there it is. If you could just switch it up quickly and make some cash, I why not, you know? No, make that money, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm still gonna make fun of it. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> As we should. You listed Breeders Cannonball, which is, I mean. We, we, had a, we had an episode where we hopped into... Last was it called Splash. Cannonball? Last Splash. I think forever the Breeders will be associated with this song, even though they've had a great career, uh, and in particular had a you know a lot of visibility in the 90s. The Breeders equal Cannonball. I mean, that is that is yes. the moment. That's the song. You know? Yeah. There's no denying it. And that is such a great alt-rock single. That is a song that I will never tire of. And it's also kind of a weird song. It's a weird song with, like, the whispering... And kind of the way it starts where it's like, I don't know, it almost sounds like tapping of fingers on on a, mm-hmm. on something, on a table. Yeah. And then the guitar riff. All of it is, is a little atypical, but it works. Yeah, no, I, that's a good point, actually. Like, I didn't really, like, think about that, actually. Because, like, to me, it's just, like, a cool, you know, to me, they're, like, these cool, like, indie, alt-rock kind of, like, musicians. And I'll, I'll just love, like, anything they do, really. But... You know, it that was a big hit that gets played everywhere and people love it, even though it's a little bit different than your average pop song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, that's a that's a big, te- you know, testament to like what a great band they are. Mm-hmm. And there's this other song, Faith No More, epic on the list that I feel like I want to talk about. Because Go for it. It had this whole life. Uh, with Guitar Hero, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, like I knew it and like I can still see like the video from MTV and all of that and like just how dramatic like the flopping fish at the end of the video is <laughs> and stuff like that. But That's the only part I remember. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, but, you know, but then it kind of like really exploded, I feel like, when it was on Guitar Hero, mm-hmm. you know, People had to like play the riff, guitar riffs on it and stuff, and I almost got like sick of that song too. That one I for some reason never gravitated toward, but yeah, it was obviously a huge '90s single. I think I really want to talk about Harvey Danger Flag Pulse. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't not talk about it. To be oh honest. God, that was such a good song. I don't know something about the delivery of that song and how ridiculous the lyrics were. Yeah. Um, 
and how like it builds up to that moment where he's like paranoia paranoia and like you're fully you're fully in there you're you're paranoid as well you know i feel like Um, it could be the theme song of the pandemic (laughs) i'm not sick but i'm not well exactly (laughs) oh my god that's funny what exactly is a flagpole set of that i never really knew Is it a person who's like sitting around a, a, a flag or like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea actually. What is a sitta? I feel like oh I have my to God. Google it. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Oh God. It's so true though. I mean, they were like, yeah. What other songs did they even have? You know? Oh, uh, that, that they'll, they definitely had nothing that even came close to the popularity of that song. No, but that's um, also really good you know karaoke song it's like Absolutely. a hit it's a hit at the bar <laughs> oh that's a hit and that also i think why it is a hit in karaoke is because your your voice can go in all different places with that track yeah you know? um, totally. and you can kind of there's a point in that song where it gets kind of uh, chaotic and um it's kind of fun in a karaoke setting for sure <laughs> oh my um, god you want to pick the last one for this lightning round I'll talk about like toadies, maybe. Possum oh Kingdom, yeah, you know that was like a crazy one. Um, mm-hmm. Although I, I always get them confused with like another band, but um, you know, Space Hog. I get them confused with mm-hmm. Space Hog all the time, and I get the songs mixed up. But they both had kind of like weird, dark, kind of vibes to them. I don't know, like Possum Kingdom. Like it was such a. I don't know, just a weird song, and then it became like, like so popular. And the lyrics are a little creepy to that song, and it's a little questionable if it is a consensual relationship. To yeah. be honest, yeah, totally. <laughs> Especially like when the song kind of reaches a pinnacle, and he's like, "Do you want to die?" And it's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, and then he starts screaming it. <laughs> around the lake tonight it's like what is going on at first you think it's like some like weird sexual thing and then you're like is he gonna kill her what is going on maybe it's like a serial killer song that would be my guess i don't know i always kind of for me like i i haven't done extensive research into this song but i always thought it was like walked a fine line between like sex song and like Ooh, I don't know. Should this song be canceled? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. I uh, wasn't was singing this hit. one. No, <laughs> the no. karaoke bar. No. <laughs> no, this one would be a little intense for karaoke. Oh my God, so good. Oh, I just, just because like I love this song, I just want to give a quick shout out to Corner Shop Brimful of Asha. That is when I used to go to Britpop dance nights uh, in college, this would be on every this would every time I'd go they'd play this song and I still love this song. Um, I don't everyone know anything needs about. A bosom for everyone a needs a bosom for a pillow. I mean, they do. Um, oh I don't know anything about Corner Shop, but I love this song so much. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was cool that they were like, you know, I feel like they were like what, like British Indian or something like that, mm-hmm. and like I thought that was cool because you don't see a lot of like you know non-white bands kind of making that pop hit and this song was like everywhere it was everywhere big big hit and a good song in a good way Mm -hmm. okay so rather than repeat skip how we're gonna 
attempt this is our first time doing this first time without a repeat skip um we are going to essentially do like mini repeat skips with select tracks from the 90s and aughts that were one hit wonders that we think we should spend more of a moment on um and we each picked a few maybe we could do it where jen you pick your first one and then i'll pick one and we'll go back and forth a little bit Okay, yeah. I feel like one of the songs I'll never get tired of ever is like <laughs> Delight, Groove is in the Heart. And I feel like Classic. that was such a great like club hit, pop hit, just everything hit. Uh, it's like it'll come, it can come on anytime and I'll just like totally be into it. Didn't know that much about, you know, how it was constructed and how it came together and realizing that a Ukrainian and a Japanese art student and they all got together and they somehow made like the biggest club hit of the nine of 1990. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's interesting because like apparently like they got also got like Bootsy Collins uh, to be on the track and then he in turn got like some other like veteran like funk musicians mm -hmm. to play on it as well and then they were sampling songs from like Herbie Hancock and other people. And then, you, of course, you have Lady Miss Keir and Q-Tip mm -hmm. on the track. And it's just like a, like, how crazy is that? I <laughs> just mm -hmm. like, how, how is it possible that these people got all, you know. It is kind of crazy that all of these people were on one track. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> and it's just a song that, you know, warms my heart and also like, gets me you know dancing and stuff mm -hmm. i mean i i don't have too much to say this this song is pure fun to me and always was and always will be the video brings a smile to my face i feel like uh the song did a really good job at kind of merging 80s culture and bringing it into the 90s in kind of a forward-thinking way mm -hmm. with the with the beat um and with kind of just how they approached it it just seemed at the time very like a modern way of going about a pop song totally. um yeah i i still dig this song i would still dance to this song i'm i'm fully on board with this song kind of living its best life <laughs> <laughs> what about you what's what, what song do you want to talk about oh god there were so many but i feel like if i were forced to kind of narrow it down to a few one that would absolutely be on my list is new radicals you get what you give classic oh my god i oh god I love that this song is also like it's it's also kind of stupid, but this song touches me in a way uh, that I don't I can't fully understand why. I think something about it is very inspirational. I think something about it is very much like overcoming things. Mm -hmm. um, the video was filmed at the Staten Island Mall, uh, mm -hmm. which I used to go to all the time with my uh, with my parents. And um it was a little strange. It was the first time I saw a music video where it was like, oh, I know that location, you know. Um, also, he would wear that stupid floppy hat. And I had all my floppy hats in the <laughs> mid late 90s. And I was like, oh, we're like on the same wavelength here. But um, yeah, I always loved this song. I bought the album, uh, which was a little all over the place, um, but had its moments. And then, of course, they broke up very shortly after this song became a huge hit. Uh, and then Greg Alexander went on to like have a lot of success with producing other artists and whatnot. A lot of pop acts, actually. And then it recently had kind of a resurgence because at Biden's inauguration, I guess Kamala Harris's husband, Doug Emhoff, and also Joe Biden's uh, 
deceased son, uh, Bo Biden. We're huge fans of this song. So both teams asked the New Radicals to perform this song for the first time in 20 plus years at like a inauguration stream that wasn't live but i was still excited so i was like that day i was like waiting for like for 147 when it was going to come on and i just like i remember being taken back to the time when i first heard the song and first fell in love with it and i don't know it still kind of gets me emotional it's stupid it's i i can't explain it i totally agree with you though i totally hear what you're saying about it because i also feel like it was like such a great song and still Mm -hmm. is such a great song Mm -hmm. and um also gives me the feels every time i hear it and like if it ever came on like somewhere i would totally like lose it like Mm -hmm. you know it's still like there's just something so kind of like a middle finger you know Mm -hmm. uh you know in the song vibe in the song and you know, but also like kind of whimsical. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like this weird mix. And then, you know, I feel like I'll, I won't forget the video. I totally can picture it in my head. It's all at the mall. And like, and then he just calls out a bunch of people like at the end of the song. Yeah, that's the funny part. <laughs> I was actually wondering when he performed or they performed it at the inauguration, uh, the post inauguration, not the live part if he was going to have that moment at the end of the song where he calls out Hanson, Marilyn Manson, Courtney Love, and then they kind of cut the song just before that. Because I think, like, it'd be silly to, I don't know, to yeah, bring that up I in 2021. That, yeah, some of it would probably still be relevant, and some of well, it wouldn't. Yeah, well, Marilyn Manson can get canceled after yes, what's been uncovered. Yeah, Absolutely. But anyway, uh, I really love that song, and I will always love that song. Really good choice. Thank you. Why don't you go and pick your next selection? Um, well, I was, I think I was going to talk about like Suzanne Vega, mm-hmm. uh, Tom's Diner in particular, like the one with DNA that got remixed in 1990. Because I know like, I guess the original track came out in like the 80s, but it didn't have any music or anything to it. And then I think people were like playing around with it and then like, this song this version with like um dna came out and like actually when i first heard it didn't realize it was like a remix (laughs) and and um but the remix is the one that became the hit you know Mm -hmm. everywhere like uh worldwide and i feel like it made me not even like be aware that she was she sang like these other songs you know <laughs> i thought she was like like a dance you know like a dance hit right star you i mean if that's if that's your first introduction which which it was for me as well like you would think that she's more of like a dance artist you wouldn't think she's more singer songwriter no and i was young you know when this song came out so like i have these memories of like like elementary school uh, or like um yeah like I don't know. I don't know why. I feel like I remember listening to this song like while in woodshop or something. (laughs) (laughs) Make it some bullshit woodshop thing. And uh, and I I have this memory of this song. But, you know, and then now is like, you know, there's a Tom's Diner in New York, uh, in Brooklyn. Um, I don't know if it's. So, do you know if it's like that's the diner she's talking that's about? That's not the diner. The diner she was referencing, if my memory serves me correctly, is on the Upper West Side somewhere. Okay. Yeah. But I used to think that that was like the diner, but it's not. So never mind. 
<laughs> no, but that's another that's another good Tom's Diner. <laughs> well, do you have a Suzanne Vega story? Yeah, well, I I was fortunate enough to work with her a couple times over the last few years, um, and I actually know a lot about Tom's Diner because, as you can imagine, every interviewer wants to know about Tom's Diner and Luca. You know, the yes. second the other huge hit she had around then. So, first of all, this song. Some people may know this already, but this song was like the prototype for the MP3. The original version of this song is a cappella, And what happened was whoever was creating the MP3, they put this song through their little system because the vocal was so pure. And on the other end came Suzanne Vega's like pitch perfect MP3. And that was the start of it. So a lot of people who are like super nerdy uh, and are very into like sound kind of stuff, consider her the mother of the mp3 which is very interesting that's kind of cool (laughs) yeah it is kind of cool um first of all she's so lovely i can't like just such a sweet kind of kind-hearted person i love this song so much the thing with dna from my understanding so she put out the song acapella and then years later this random duo in europe like kind of they were DJing it out and they had played around with the song and it became a huge hit somewhere in europe and then she got word that it was a hit and then I think at the time her label was like, you know, let's get this block, let's get this band, let's get this shut down. This is an unauthorized remix. She's like, but it's fucking great. Let's do something with it here. So then they properly released it. So anyway, that's a little bit of the backstory. Smart uh, lady. Smart. Um, <laughs> I love this song so much. I love the story it tells. Like you're in it with her. You're at the diner with her. You're yeah. you're drinking the coffee. You're looking outside the window. You're the waitress. Like you're literally, she's such a beautiful storyteller. And I just feel like in this song, she literally takes you to that place. Like, you can envision like it raining outside and then everything that happens with the newspaper, blah, blah, blah. Really good storytelling. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. You know, she was telling in one of the interviews I, I sat in on that um, there's a moment in the song, I forget the exact lyric off the top of my head, but she's referencing like someone had just died in the newspaper yeah. and she's reading about it. People who are like super, I don't know, into like, uh, finding this shit out like figured out the exact day that she wrote it and who what celebrity died and like people are always trying to impress her with that fact that they figured out who she was referencing in the song <laughs> oh it's gosh. kind of like people can be nutty <laughs> that's kind of amazing though that's like uh that means like you really did something that people really like got into and I yeah like like that's pretty cool actually that people are like trying to figure it out like they're an investigator <laughs> yeah yeah well on reddit they're the nancy drews oh, at least yeah. on the rupaul's drag race reddit board <laughs> the only one i really go to besides like the vinyl release page. Yeah. i guess i'll hop into my second pick this to me is like one of the most beautiful songs uh, ever written and i realize that they've had a career and they're super respected well beyond this 1994 single but i feel like they'll always be associated with it talking about mazzy star fade into you yeah i saw them a few years ago at terminal five they played literally completely in the dark like i'm not kidding it was in the dark it was like pitch black i love Um, it and the whole set was like i mean their whole vibe it is fade into you-esque just very very kind of moody and you know they take you to that place but once i got into fade into you i was like i don't know my heart like was like hurting i was like oh this song it's just such i don't know what else to say it's just such a fucking gorgeous song and it's timeless and i love her vocals and 
it's just it's flawless i don't know do you feel oh, the same i feel the same it's like so magical it like totally takes you to like another you know place and yeah you do feel like you're kind of like in the dark and you're probably like you know slow dancing with somebody you uh-huh. have a crush on or something and like just like the anticipation you know yeah the, her vocals are hope sandoval's vocals are like perfect mm-hmm. just like so like i don't even soft angelic like dreamy like mm. just everything you want them to be and then the music is just like gorgeous and it's mm-hmm. just the, the combination is like crazy and i think it's a song that definitely like pulls at the heart and that a lot of people um kind of get lost in you know yeah yeah totally get it love that song and they're also a band that i feel like people would argue right that they actually have a good catalog uh, but you know most people will just know fade into you Mm mm-hmm i mean there's no denying it (laughs) it is what it is but you know um they put out something, I mean, obviously when I saw them, they were touring behind a new album, which was stunning, but like, I couldn't remember a single track if you asked me right now, Yeah, you know, it was a beautiful album, but this song in particular just really stands out. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. Classic. Everybody knows it. It gets played everywhere. And I'm just glad that they had that success, you know, mm-hmm. and that they can keep making like great music. Um, probably getting, still getting paychecks from fade into you i'm sure they are yeah <laughs> another one that i wanted to talk about was uh, montel jordan <laughs> i'm so excited for it. this <laughs> <laughs> i mean who doesn't know this song right of course it's like the song that djs play on friday night um like... it was i mean in i think it came out in 95 if I'm remembering correctly i could look at my notes here but like this was a gigantic number one single at least in the u.s i don't really know about internationally Huge. but yeah. i think it was big everywhere yeah i think yeah. so too i think um but I, I i'm actually don't know if it was an international hit i'm assuming though because like mm-hmm. it's so catchy it has like this whole fun vibe to it like it's a total like going out song like you fucking play this song before you go out <laughs> and then mm-hmm. you go into the night and montel jordan you know like i don't know there's just something so like uh charming about his like delivery in the song and um uh i i have a funny story because i was like You know, in my early days, I was like a journalist and uh, I was working at like a teen website. I probably mentioned it before. And um, back then it was like a lot of digital journalists. So, you know, it's like, you know, from websites and stuff. So I was with a group of like, uh, you know, online journalists and we, you know, got all got like um, herded uh by Def Jam to go to like a Montel Jordan you know album you know promotional party that they you Mm -hmm. know they would do these like marketing you know parties all the time so this is just like with all online journalists and we went to I think it was Bullmore um and went bowling um and with Montel Jordan And I was on Montel Jordan's team. Amazing. There's two teams were playing against each other, and I was on his team. And I want to say we won, but I actually don't remember who won the game or whatever. 
And but I was supposed to interview him like the next day or sometime that week. And then I ended up getting sick and I had to like, you know, call out of the interview and one of my coworkers ended up doing it. But I think he had asked or like, um, you know, the, the marketing person at Def Jam had like he got the marketing person at Def Jam to like ask for my like phone number, my home phone number. <laughs> and, like, I guess my editor gave it to him because uh -huh. the next thing I know, I'm like in bed and I hear like the like freaking answering machine, you know, old school. They were like answering machines with like cassette tapes and stuff, uh -huh. um, mini cassette tapes. And I hear like. Hi, Jen. This is Montel Jordan. <laughs> I heard you were sick. I thought you might need some chicken soup or something. And I was like, what is going oh, on? It's so amazing. What is my life? <laughs> like, and you have it saved somewhere I for good keeping. I still have it saved. Uh, maybe I'll play it. I'll, maybe I'll mix it in. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. And then we can all listen to it. But uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. I totally saved that tape and I have it. <laughs> Uh, amazing that is such an incredible story was that was he already um was that song huge at that point or he was on his way oh he was huge like okay. this album actually that this release party was for what never ne it got shelved it never came out oh and i actually don't know whatever happened to it but no he was already like giant because this was like in the um the early aughts mm -hmm. so it was like way after you know, this is and he's now on Cameo. <laughs> and now he's on Cameo. I should just, like buy a Cameo from him and like make him say the same thing that he said to me. <laughs> like, years you could ago. play them back to back. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! That Do would be funny. <laughs> Do a remix about the chicken soup. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I feel like maybe we both could do one more and then kind of close the episode. I'm trying to pick. I have three here, but uh, I for some reason right now, I kind of want to talk about the fun one, which is Hadaway, What is Love? Oh, I love that one. <laughs> I was hoping you'd pick that one. <laughs> I love this song so much. It takes me back. This very specific memory is watching My So-Called Life, and there's a scene uh, where they're at a dance, a school dance, and um, Ricky, the gay character, is like, I guess like someone is kind of hitting on him and he doesn't know what to do and he's kind of coming to terms with things and this song is playing and for some reason because of that association I've always considered this as like a queer dance song even though I don't really know much about Hathaway I don't really know about their sexuality I don't know if that was intentional I don't know how that song got placed but that's my direct association yeah um, I just think this is such a great dance song and for some reason, in an era where so many of these like early 90s European dance tracks are kind of cringy to look back on, I don't cringe when I hear this. For me, it's kind of, um, I don't know, I have a soft spot for this track. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I feel the exact same way and I have the exact same memory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Of my so-called life. And, and I think that's why I fell in love with the song was because... I also felt that connection to like, you know, being an outsider, you know, kind of like, yeah, what is love? You know, mm -hmm. like this, this age old question and mm -hmm. also it just being like really catchy and fun and actually like a good dance track. Was this a song that was also like in the SNL skits? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like the Will Ferrell, Chris Kattan, like yeah. the SNL skits, like. 
also kind of loved it there as well, even though they were like making fun of it. Like mm -hmm. I just thought it brought gave this like whole new life to the song almost, you know, mm -hmm. and but yeah, I was really excited when I saw Hadaway on your <laughs> list. I was like, oh my god, I love that song. And I also, it, I don't feel like it's cringy at all. I just think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's it's really a good track. It's a good dance. It's a good early 90s kind of staple. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I feel like I talked about more songs than you did. I don't know. If you want to talk about one more, you should go for it, I think. Okay. Maybe I will hop into, because I think you had listed this too somewhere, so I think it's a fun one to hop into, White Town, Your Woman. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so this guy, who, whoever was White Town, was kind of anonymous in a way. Th this song also, in a way, was kind of uh, nebulous in terms of like what the meaning is, because in one sense, it's like, I could never be your woman is he talking is it a queer thing is he trying to say to a guy that like i wish i could be with you but i can't because i'm not a woman or is it like is he singing from the perspective of someone else is it i don't know there's like it's a funny thing this song i think it's a really great track in terms of like the beat the delivery and I kind of like, a, in a way, I kind of like a song that doesn't give you all the answers, that kind of leaves you a little wondering what's going on. I found this kind of funny. Apparently, Stephen Merritt from Magnetic Fields said that this was one of his favorite pop songs of all time, I guess. And I could see that, like, just because the way Stephen Merritt kind of writes and the way he approaches a love song, it, it didn't surprise me at all. But yeah, this song was a big hit in the UK and in the US, and it was the only single that White Town ever had. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a good song. I still want to dance to it. Yeah, you know, I I actually had to um Google the song again to like remember it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um uh, but then once I did, it was like, Oh, of course I know this song. <laughs> And it was good, actually, but I feel like the band name didn't age that well. Even though, oh, God. You know, the solo act band name thing. Yeah, but yeah. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, um, I like the part of the song after the chorus where it's like, I could never be your woman. And then it's like this weird kind of like whistly, um, like repetitive type thing that... Um, I know yeah. something about it can be kind of irritating, but for some reason it worked in the song. I don't know whatever happened to this guy, but I feel like he would have been a good producer because, like, he knows how to write a pop song. Right. Yeah, no, I don't know whatever happened to him either. I don't want to say it, but, like, basically when I looked him up on Spotify, uh -oh. the, the picture that came up was, like, not attractive. I'm wondering if that had something to do with it. You know, that also actually, you know, that that also could maybe tie into the theme of the song is like a, a, a feeling of like, and also maybe why he was, like you said, like kind of an anonymous figure is like, didn't want to reveal himself, couldn't be with this love interest because of insecurities and whatnot. You know? Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. And then uh, he just had this like great voice. You know, mm -hmm. and it really worked really well in the song. And mm -hmm. I think it's cool that like Stephen Merritt was like jealous of it. Yeah. <laughs>
kind of funny. You know, recently I've been listening to a lot of magnetic fields. I don't know why, like, lately I've been really uh, in a rewind mode, not so much in a forward-thinking mode in terms of what I listen to in my spare time. And in particular, I've been listening to a lot of 69 Love Songs just because mm-hmm. that album is so classic. Yeah. But, yeah, that that to me, actually, reading this on Wikipedia, it wasn't that surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like that was, like, a really good run of one hit wonders that we just went through i feel like we covered a lot of ground for an hour yeah i mean (laughs) it was lightning fast and yeah but really fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) so maybe we'll do it again we'll see if y'all like it if y'all like it let us know leave comments and likes and stuff (laughs) yeah i would really like to do an aughts one hit wonder like yeah this one was pretty 90s heavy we could do an aughts one next time yeah Yeah. so i think there is a lot to be said for that and definitely like a lot more um you know artists that were more like indie kind of blowing up yeah, it, 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 it'd be interesting to kind of compare and contrast like the 90s pop one hit wonder radio one hit wonder versus like the blog buzzy indie one hit wonder because yeah. it's a different thing to compare like clap your hand say yeah to like, you know, delight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like a Peter Bjorn and John kind of thing, exactly. you know, like there's just so many I feel like we could talk about. Thanks, everyone for you know listening to us talk about our like one hit wonder nostalgia here and uh we'll catch you next time catch you next time mixtape memories bye 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 It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.